Welcome. Taylor was right. It sure is a beautiful evening. Thank you for worshiping with us. Let's start off by kind of pinpointing one of the main themes of the book of Ruth. And I would say the book of Ruth is all about great strength in unexpected places. Let's start off with uh, a couple examples of unexpected strength. Do you guys know that a bald eagle can fly in the air carrying up to four times its own body weight? Is that amazing? Some of you don't look impressed, and I bet you can't even fly with your own body weight. How about this? A woman, a 64-year-old woman named Diana Nyad swam 53 hours nonstop from Cuba to Florida without taking any breaks to sleep or to eat. She said in her memoir she did it by telling herself over and over again, I'm going to swim from Cuba to Florida. I'm going to swim from Cuba to Florida. And she did. Isn't that amazing? How about this? Examples of unexpected strength and determination. A 61-year-old Dutch man named Wim Hof has trained his body to be unaffected by cold weather. He holds the world record for time submerged in ice at one hour and 44 minutes. And he also completed a marathon in the Arctic without a shirt. And now, now I know what my kids are training for when they get dressed for school in the morning, right? Got your hat? Yep. Jacket? Yep. Why are you wearing shorts and gym shoes? Well, they're training to beat this guy, right? As we go through life, we all encounter unexpected examples of great strength and determination. And usually when we do, it's inspiring. This is true in the Bible as well. One of my favorite examples of unexpected strength comes from this woman, this character, Ruth. You might be thinking to yourself, Ruth is just a story of a bunch of ladies. Ruth, there's nothing, there's nothing in the book except for talking and farming and an awkward love story. How could it be true that this young foreign woman is one of the Bible's great examples of unexpected strength. So I'd like to just spend the next 20 minutes focusing in on uh, what the character of Ruth, what the person of Ruth, I believe it was a real person, speaks to us today about unexpected strength. I'm going to change the outline that's in your bulletin. I just thought of maybe a more straightforward way to present. So I just want to share a list of six ways that Ruth is strong in a way that surpasses expectations. The original audience would have thought of a young widow from another country. They would not have expected to find uncommon strength and determination in this character, but that's exactly what we find in Ruth. So let's very quickly talk about six ways that Ruth is stronger than anybody would have expected. First one is this. Ruth is a woman who has done what the judges could not. Ruth is a woman who's done what the mostly male judges have not. If you guys recall back to your Sunday school days, or maybe this is kind of fresh to you, the book of Judges in the Old Testament is all about this kind of primitive period where there wasn't a king in Israel. They're kind of like these tribal chiefs that would rise up and they would try to get the people to follow God again. And, you know, like it would work in a baby step here and there. But at the end of each chapter, at the end of each story, Israel just goes back to this lawless, godless 
place. And even though the book of Judges has these people that we think of as great leaders like Samson and Gideon, not a lot of progress is made throughout the country and going back to the Old Testament's laws uh, and trusting that God is for Israel. Now, I think we're supposed to contrast what happens in Ruth with what happens in the book of Judges. This is the very last sentence in the book of Judges, and it says this. This is kind of the summary of this era. And it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. And this is how the book of Ruth starts, the first sentence in the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled... And then it goes on and it tells us this story. So we're clearly supposed to think of the story of Ruth as happening during the time of the judges. And of course, Ruth will make more progress than any of the mostly male judges did. She leads the community back to celebrating many, practicing many of the Old Testament laws that they had forgotten. She represents God in beautiful ways. She brings Israel that much closer to the great king that had been promised. So the first thing that we see that Ruth has done that has surpasses, uh, surpassed expectations is that she's accomplished what many of the mostly male judges made zero progress in accomplishing. All right, number two, the second way that of many that Ruth's great strength would surpass the expectations of the original audience. And it's this, she has done what her father-in-law and her husband could not do. Like it's a very male-dominated time back then and the, the men were thought of as the providers and the farmers and the protectors. What does it say in Ruth 1.5 as the story starts? It says, uh, both Malon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. In other words, it was up to Ruth's father-in-law, it was up to her husband to run the family farm, to grow the crops, uh, to protect them, and yet they've died. They've left her as a widow. They've left Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, as a widow as well. And this would have been something that would have really jumped out to the original audience because a lot of the names that we read in the Old Testament for these characters, like it wasn't their Dave and Bill and Ted name. That's lost on us, but they're, they're names that are nicknames, that are symbolic. And so Malon wouldn't have been this guy's birth name because it's the Hebrew word for sickness. And Chilion would not have been the other husband's actual birth name because it's the Hebrew word for destruction. I don't even know if Ruth would have been Ruth's birth name. I think I've talked about this in previous weeks, but there's something really fascinating about the Hebrew language, and it's read without vowels. So it's just a cluster of consonants. And depending on the, and the reader just has to imagine, based on the context, what vowels to put in there to give that word meaning. And the consonant cluster that's Ruth can also mean friend, and it can also mean fertile. Okay? So Ruth as a character is representing the things that the, the husband and the father-in-law could not produce. They're dead. They're not fertile. So they can't bring about this fertile land. And they're dead, and Ruth was a widow, so they couldn't bring about a future offspring to carry on the family name and the family estate. But Ruth, the fertile one, according to her name, what does she do in the story? She helps redeem the family land so that the future crops can be planted, and she, of course, goes on to have an offspring of her own. So number two, Ruth has done what her father-in-law and her husband 
could not. I hope this doesn't feel like just a literary uh, uh, examination. I hope you guys are starting to see that when the original audience would have heard this story, the theme that would have come through their head again and again is that this unexpected character is way stronger and has a much more transformative effect on the people around her than anybody could have expected. This is a good one. A third way that Ruth is, is much stronger than the original audience would have expected is that Ruth and Naomi have understood, uh, Ruth and Naomi have done what the readers give Boaz credit for. If you guys are familiar with this story, I know not all of you are, uh, we read a little bit of it there from chapter 3. What does Boaz get credit for? Well, he's the protagonist. He's the hero. He's the guy that comes in and saves the family farm. He's the guy that agrees to marry this foreign woman, Ruth. And now uh, Ruth's great-grandson would be this great king, King David. So if you just read through Ruth really quick, and if you're not familiar with the story, I would even encourage you to just skim it right now. Uh, hopefully you got a Bible with you. Um, but a quick reading would often leave people to, to, to walk away from the story and say, yeah, Boaz is the hero. Boaz has remembered what it is that you're supposed to do when there's a close family member in need. But if you really think about it, Boaz hasn't even done that. It's Naomi and Ruth that help uh, Boaz recognize and act out what he's supposed to do. Now, I know a lot of you guys, myself included, don't know a lot about uh, Leverite laws in the Old Testament, but I can explain it really quickly, and it doesn't mean it's going to... It's still going to be a little bit awkward, but at least we're going to understand it. So back in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 6, it says this. This will make you look at your wedding pictures a lot differently. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So this seems really weird, does it not? It's saying that if you're young and you have property and you have a child and the husband dies, the widow is supposed to marry his brother so that that kid can come up to age, take over the family land, and the family name can be continued. It sounds strange in our time and in our culture, but if you think about it, it was a gracious way in a time before state welfare and before unemployment offices for some, a family that had undergone great misfortune uh, to uh, carry on their name and property. Um, if you think back to the passage that the worship team read to us, uh, Boaz didn't know anything about this policy. Maybe he had heard about it, but it wasn't on the forefront of his mind. And so listen again to Ruth 3, 1 to 4, how it is that Ruth and Naomi, this mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law, bring about this change in the story. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. And Boaz, whose woman, uh, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing room floor. Wash, put on perfume, go down to the floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Go and uncover his feet and lie down. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled him. 
He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. So Boaz does go on to act out this Old Testament uh, law or practice. But while Boaz is kind of the hero, we know from, from the subtle details of the story that it's the women, that it's Naomi and Ruth that really made this happen. And this reminds me of that great quote from the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Do you guys remember that quote? The mother says to her daughter, let me tell you something, Tula. The man is the head, but the woman is the neck. And she can turn the head any way that she wants. Right? It's a funny quote, right? And a lot of times the Bible gets uh, this rap of just being all about these male heroes. But what we're seeing in the story of Ruth is that Ruth's strength and control of the situation and transformative power surpasses what you would expect when you start to read the story. Here's another example. I don't know how else to say it other than the prey becomes the predator. Uh, back in um, Ruth 2, 8 to 9, Naomi and Boaz have concern that this young, beautiful woman walking around on her own uh, might just be overtaken and assaulted, right? It says in Ruth 2, 8 to 9, Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. In other words, as we enter into this story, we're supposed to be a little bit nervous that someone is going to assault this damsel this helpless woman. But of course, what happens later on uh, in Ruth 3, 8 to 9, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. It's just another way that this character has surpassed in strength what you would expect from her as the character. She's no longer... Uh, we're no longer nervous that she's going to get attacked. She's actually the one that's pursuing this man. Starting to wrap up here. At the end of Ruth, she's linked with who I consider to be the Old Testament's two most underrated women. There's just all these great overlooked characters throughout the Bible. Two of the most overlooked characters in the Old Testament are Leah and Tamar. Now, Leah had a sister named Rachel. We got a, a Marsha and Jan situation here from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> Rachel is the beautiful one, and it says that Leah had a lazy eye and was not physically desirable. Uh, so Jacob works all these years to win Rachel, uh, but he's tricked into marrying Leah first. We're supposed to kind of feel sorry for Leah that uh, she's oppressed and that she's overlooked. But of course, she is the greater of the sisters. She is the one that believes that these promises made long ago that God would bless the Israelite people and send a great king uh, and make them numerous and prosperous. Leah is the one that believes that to be true. And so she's rewarded uh, with that promise coming true through her son, Judah. And I don't know if we have time to get into the Tamar story, but it's probably the first rated R story of the Old Testament. And this woman is greatly abused and oppressed. But what's so great about Tamar is like Leah, she never gives up hope that these promises are going to come true. And even though her father-in-law, even though her father-in-law Judah neglects her and oppresses her and has totally lost sight of what God had promised to do through their family line, Tamar never gives up hope. 
And of course, those promises come true through her son, Perez. And so what do those women all have in common, Ruth and Leah and Tamar? This is kind of the main idea of the story of Ruth. Maybe you guys, I hope this sticks into your mind. These are all, Ruth and Leah and Tamar, are dynamic reminders that it doesn't take muscles or money or power to experience the fulfillment of God's promises. It doesn't take muscles or money or power to experience the fulfillment of God's promises. It just takes faith. And where all these other great, strong generals and prophets in the Old Testament sometimes overlook that, Ruth is an example of this transformation that comes in her life and the lives of those around her. It doesn't take muscles or money or power or even men. It just takes faith. There might be situations in your life that you just don't have the resources to deal with on your own. I hope that God is speaking to your heart right now that all he's asking you to have is faith that he will follow through with what he's promised to do. Let's wrap up with this. There's several other places throughout the story of Ruth where there's incredible contrasts that are given. It starts off with an image of something that's very small or very weak or very flaky, but then it turns into that same image as being something incredibly powerful. For example, in Ruth 2.2, Naomi tells Ruth to go out and start collecting heads of grain. And if you guys have ever seen heads of grain, they would just look like little tiny dots in your hand. But then it says at the end of the day in verse 1-7 that Ruth comes back with an ephah of barley. And an ephah, for those of you that aren't uh, up to date on your Jewish measurements, it's 22 liters. So imagine trying to carry 12 two-liters of soda, right? Like that's a lot for one person to carry. What starts off is what Ruth is asked to do that's very small. She ends up doing it in incredibly large ways. It's a beautiful passage in Ruth 2.12 where she says, May the Lord, where um, Boaz says, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Uh, you, this, I think this would have been something that would have been very familiar to hunters in the ancient world. Maybe not so much for us today. But a bird's wing is both one of the strongest and one of the most softest and gentle things in the natural world. I was once turkey hunting with a friend in Wisconsin. There was a turkey about 12 or 10 yards from us. He drew back his bow. I don't know what the pull on it was, but it was an incredibly powerful bow. I saw this with my own eyes. He shot that turkey right in the side of the shoulder, right in the wing, and that arrow bounced right off. Because feathers interwoven together can be that powerful. But I also can't think of a softer place to be than underneath the wing of a bird, right? And so again, all through the story of Ruth, the author is giving us image after image of things that are both delicate, but also incredibly strong and powerful, just like Ruth. In Ruth 4.15, it's talking about this baby that's kind of saved the family line, but it also says to Naomi that Ruth, your daughter-in-law, you have a daughter-in-law who's better than seven sons. Isn't that a beautiful way for the story to end? Because we start off afraid for this pair of women because they no longer have a husband, they no longer have, uh, 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 there's no longer uh, 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 a dad, there's no longer these husbands. But then, of course, at the end it says, Ruth is greater than seven sons. 
So in just a moment, the worship team is going to come forward and uh, wrap up our service with some worship. As they do, I just want to wrap up with this. The author of the story of Ruth is trying to remind us through the plot and trying to remind us through these details that sometimes the most strength and transformation that we come across comes through the most unexpected places. I think that Ruth was a real person because she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus in several places throughout the Bible. But I also think that there's a lot of symbolism in the story as well. And I think Ruth is supposed to be a symbol for us that this young foreign widow who the original audience would have just kind of overlooked without very much expectations actually comes on to do more for Israel than the judges and the husbands and a lot of the wicked kings that would come after. The title of our sermon series is that the story of Ruth is all about how to go from empty to full in a time of crisis. I think our country hopefully is coming out of this pandemic, but it's been a rough year. It's a rough time for families. It's a rough time for finances. It's a stressful time for relationships. And so I think this story of Ruth is a great example to us from the Bible of how to bring about transformation in our family and in our friendships, how to bring people from empty to full in a time of national crisis. Let's just wrap up with all the characters in this story that go from empty to full. Naomi starts the story as a widow and then her two sons die. There's nobody to work the family land and she says, just call me bitter because I have no hope. But through Ruth's strength, through Ruth's faith, through Ruth's obedience, the family land is saved and Naomi gains a grandson and she ends the story surrounded by family and friends. What about Ruth? She starts the story without any possessions, no food to eat, no husband, no religion. But as the story goes on, she commits loyalty to Naomi and to this Hebrew God. And she ends the story with a farm, a wealthy husband, a son, and status as a revered hero of the Jewish faith. And you know, Israel is often a character in the Old Testament as well. What happens to the nation of Israel in this story? It starts off in a famine. It has a population that's just visibly ignoring a lot of the laws they were supposed to be living out. It's a country that's void of good leadership. But through Ruth's actions, the story ends with a great harvest, a return to several Old Testament community laws, and they're only three, gener three generations away from David, the great promised king. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and wrap us up. And as they do, I'd just like to wrap up with this final thought. Ruth isn't physically strong. Ruth isn't militarily powerful. Ruth isn't wealthy. And she doesn't have any of the things that we would traditionally look to as being necessary to bring about great transformation. But she's good, and she's faithful, and she's loyal, and that's all God needs to act out his promises.